we have a great guest, Ania Robinson. I'm going to let her introduce herself and then give us a little bit of background about how she got started in blockchain. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm Ania Robinson. I'm based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I grew up here, but I began my career in New York City in traditional finance. And then I wanted to move back to the South, and I was working at a large software company, helping with a financial product, helping large corporations manage their cash flow and working capital. And that company asked me to move to Australia. And when I was in Australia, I the, on the first day on the job, this lady came up to me. We're actually friends now, but at the time I didn't really know her. And she comes up to me, and she's all about oh, blockchain is going to change the world. Everything is solvable by blockchain. We wouldn't have all these payment problems if there were blockchain. And she looks at me and she's like, you get it, right? And this is 2018. And I look at her and I'm, I sheepishly said, I've mainly been focused on traditional finance. So I go home that night and I like start Googling everything about blockchain. I'm like, is this the future? Am I behind? Do I need to know this? Is this where the company's going? So... I decided that since I was already in a new country and I, my son was with me and he was two at the time and his dad also worked overseas in a different part of the world. So I decided that at, in that moment, I already had this kind of Herculean task of bringing this product to market in Australia. So I, I put blockchain on the back burner, but then COVID happened and my son and I were visiting the United States. And Australia closed the borders, so we couldn't get home. <laughs> we were locked out of our country, so we kind of had to pivot, move back here. I was doing some work in North America, but then blockchain just kept coming into my life, like through friends, and I saw different people getting into the space. And I had a colleague who left the company and went to go work for a crypto fintech company. And I called her up and I said, hey, I really want to be a part of this. I'm not really sure how I can help, but are you guys hiring? Talk to me about what I maybe could help you with. And it was partnerships. And so I, I have a great network and I have been customer facing pretty much my whole career. So it was just a fit. And look, I admitted to them that my knowledge of crypto and blockchain was limited, but I just dove in head first and I guess what people call the proverbial rabbit hole, like went down that rabbit hole, started learning everything I could. And then I got to my first event at Money 2020 in Vegas. And I'd been to Money 2020 a long time ago. I got there and I'm looking around this large, massive event space. And I don't recognize any of these companies. And I'm like, where's JP Morgan? Where's Bank of America? Where's Goldman Sachs? They weren't there. It was all crypto, fintech, blockchain companies. And that was like my aha moment. This is real. This is happening. <laughs> this is real. These companies are real. So I just started going around meeting everyone I could, taking business cards, doing research when I got home, like who are these companies? How do they fit in the space? And just immersing myself every time I went to a conference and learning who the players are, what cool things are happening. So that's like my blockchain story and where I am today. <laughs> so that's a unique perspective that you found your footing in going to events. That, And I hadn't thought of that, but 
would you recommend somebody that doesn't know? So like my history is not in finance, but would you recommend that I go to blockchain finance events? Is that a cool place to network? And Absolutely. That's where I have had the most experience learning. And then once you go there, you'll meet one person and they'll be like, oh, doing this, you should meet them. And then they'll introduce you to five more people. And that's how you build your network. We have some great ones in Tennessee and Nashville. There's Atlanta Blockchain Council in Atlanta. They do a lot of stuff with Georgia Tech. I know Vanderbilt does a lot of things. Some of the larger conferences like Money 2020 and Bitcoin are expensive, but if you can go, they are great networking. So if your company mm-hmm. will send you, that's great. If you can find some kind of discounted ticket, if you're going to be there or if you're going to be in one of those cities anyway and not attend the conference, it might just be worth it to, or if you have a conference coming to your city, reach out to people and say, hey, I'm in this city. I may or may not be attending the conference. Do you mind having lunch or meeting up for a coffee? Are the big legacy banks, I'm sure, like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they have a team dedicated to looking at blockchain, but how serious are some of them? And you might not know, but how serious do you think some of those big players are taking blockchain, crypto, Web3? They are, whether they admit it or not. Goldman Sachs is already doing a lot of things in Asia and Singapore, and they've made those announcements. JP Morgan, I could spend a whole hour on Jamie Dimehalone. He is taking this stance that he doesn't believe in it. It's not real. It's not, it's a Ponzi scheme. He is very verbal about his disapproval of the entire industry. Yet JP Morgan has registered a patent for their own digital wallet. They're doing internal digital currency things with different tokenization. Why he goes on, it's like a circus. I don't know why he goes on TV and says that this he's not doing anything with his company. Maybe it's just yeah. optics, but JP Morgan is building internally. And a lot of other banks, they, you know, they're not there yet because there is regulation and they're trying to navigate What's going to happen? How's the regulation going to happen? And so building an entire infrastructure for only the government to come and say you can't do that is very costly. So I think everyone's just being very cautious right now because there's different terminology. Like the Commodities Exchange thinks Bitcoin is a commodity. The Treasury thinks it's a currency. And the Senate Exchange Commission thinks it's a security. So until those three entities figure out how they want to classify block Bitcoin or how they're going to regulate different things on blockchain. It's very hard for companies to move forward, but there's other use cases for blockchain just besides money and crypto. There's supply chain and insurance and private chains versus public chains and what you can build on different chains. What's interesting that you're seeing out there that you're following is it some company using NFTs, is it DeFi? Is it a smart contract? It's interesting that you're following out there. I, because of my background in finance, I tend to be focused more on how it can change the financial industry because that's where my focus and my education and my background is. That there, the smart contracts are going to come into play with a lot of how these things work. NFTs, super cool. I just haven't really ventured into that space. 
but I love hearing what people are doing, especially around the music industry and art and fashion. But for me, what I'm mainly focused on is because of the experience of Australia, like I was living in the United States, making Australian dollars, paying Australian taxes, paying Australian rent. I don't know if you know anything about Australia, but on any given year, it's one of the third most expensive places to live in the world. Right. So that was a pretty formative experience for me. And so I really wish that there would have been a way for me to get paid in some kind of crypto, be able to transfer that to myself in the United States without huge fees. That's like kind of like my passion to try to help companies figure that part out. And it's going to come down to building and failing and building again, like we're not going to get it right the first time maybe in the world. But if we all work together, I think that we can probably come up with a solution because there has to be a better way to transfer money across borders. But there's just, if you're getting into blockchain, I think there's just so many cool avenues that you can go down, find what you're passionate about. And I guarantee there's probably something in blockchain that is addressing what your passion is, whether it be art, gaming, finance, music, it really touches every part of our lives now. Yeah. And you said something that I want to ask you a question about, about transferring money across state borders. And I think it, I th one avenue that I saw was, I believe they were a coffee maker. It was on a documentary. And they were saying that the – People on the front lines of supply chains, think of people growing the coffee beans, think of people loading the trucks, that they doubt that they're getting paid the right amount and on time. And so he is thinking that I cannot remember who was doing the documentary, but the maker of the documentary was saying that it hopefully in a utopian environment is going to change that, that people will be able to see this is how much Starbucks, for example, paid their farm farmers at the beginning of the supply chain. Have you seen anything like that? And do you imagine the same future? Yes, I think that's where we're headed. The problem now is I think that people think blockchain and they think that it's obviously internet related, but how do you get say you want to pay people in Bitcoin and make it fair and make them their own bank. How do you get that to the coffee maker in Colombia who maybe doesn't even have a smartphone? Now I'm overgeneralizing the entire Colombian coffee industry right now, but sure. let's just, for instance, say it's a small supplier and they are just mom and pop shop. There's some really cool things that are happening, especially around the Stellar Network, and they announced their partnership with MoneyGram. MoneyGram is massive. It's a global program. So that, hopefully in the future, may solve the problem of getting money paid to suppliers who may not even have a smartphone. Because there's MoneyGram mm. everywhere. It's more accessible in the world. And so that's solving for one problem that how do you get this currency to people that don't have infrastructure and it's a lot is happening in africa as well that's a huge problem there's a huge mining industry in africa and those and there's a lot of government and geopolitical factors that go into all of this but the need arises from those mines being able to be their own bank and have their own money and their own wealth and it not be taken away by the government 
Mm. They have a much higher need than maybe we do just sitting in our nice, comfy work-from-home jobs in America. But necessity is the mother of invention. Africa and countries who have, like, crazy inflation rates and currency fluctuations are really the forerunners of this kind of blockchain revolution. You see what's happening in El Salvador, Venezuela, Nigeria, Johannesburg, like, they're in the news because they really want this to work because they need it to work. I can tell you stay up to date in current topics and trends. How do you do that? Are you like a documentary watcher? Do you read the news? Like what do you listen to podcasts? What do you do to take in the information? Well, thank you for saying that. I do try to stay abreast of my field. I do not watch the news on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's become so sensationalized and I can't really just deal with all of the way that the media has changed. But I do love to read blogs and I like to read the news on my phone. And I spend a lot of time like on LinkedIn and Twitter following smarter people. <laughs> I surround mm -hmm. myself with a lot of smart people and follow them. I like to follow Robert Breedlove. I like to follow Michael Saylor. I follow Jimmy Song. They're all huge into Bitcoin, I just tend to look around and see what other people are doing and be like, oh, that's interesting. Let me read up on that. And a lot of people reach out to me on LinkedIn because they know I'm in this space. And so I met up with a, a great guy, John, who is in Africa. He's out of Johannesburg, but he's done some work in the United States. He was a former investment banker in Europe. So he's really on the ground in Africa. I just set up a, a call with him every so often and ask him, What's going on? How are things there? What are you seeing? And he really, people are willing to educate you if, and if you seek them out and ask, hey, can I have 15, 20 minutes of your time? So I do that a lot. I reach out to people. That's how I get my information. Would, so let's go back. I, I understand that like your time in Australia was a line of demarcation, let's say in your understanding of Bitcoin, is there anything else, or not Bitcoin, blockchain, is there anything else that is like a line of demarcation that led you to this point to pretty much going all in on blockchain and Bitcoin and Web3? Is there any other like line of demarcation events that kind of led you here? I think it's a combination of everything that I've seen in the past few years. It started in Australia. It started during COVID. Once I got to these conferences and saw these very smart, intelligent people just building incredible platforms and software and companies, it just spread from there and it funneled this need for more information for me. Just reach out to people and see what's out in the world. So it's really, to answer your question, it's a combination of all the things, really. Yeah. What's your favorite book you've read in the last couple of years? The getting book rec recommendations because I'm running out of books. In blockchain or just in general? Just in general. <laughs> I, I made, I had a New Year's resolution last year to read every, for every finance or technical book I read, I had to read just like a total, just nothing to do with finance book that's <laughs> even awesome. if it was it didn't have to be that's fiction. great it just it could be nonfiction. it just i needed to like branch out 
gosh, that's really hard to say. I've got so many like great books on my list. But I did read a really good book that Jimmy Song gave me, which was called Thank God for Bitcoin. And I really just, it's a short book. It's an easy read. It's paperback. It was just, I don't know. I guess it, like, it, I'm an, I majored in economics. So the idea of sound money, it's like really resonates with me. So I think that if people are in, in blockchain and you have any kind of economic background and you understand money and the concept of money and you studied economics, you're far ahead of most people who try to get into the industry because if you want to get into the finance side of blockchain and crypto, you have to understand why the need arose to create it. And the whole going back to the Bitcoin white paper is to try to create this utopian world where we all become our own banks and I can pay you and you can pay me and we can pay for our car and our mortgage and things without having to pay three or four other people in the middle. So that's the premise of it. So that book really just solidified the whole, the view of sound money and what it means, why this started really, why the Bitcoin paper was written. And if you understand that, then you understand sort of the derivatives and what happened, why stablecoin was created because of the fluctuations and the true crypto markets and how those can be used. And there's different viewpoints on some people are Bitcoin maximalist and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their view and how they think that the world is going to move forward. In about five sentences or less, can you explain what sound money is? <clears throat> sound money. Good question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, do not sound understand money it. would be the concept of me and you having some kind of medium of exchange that's uncorrupted from government, from inflation, from geopolitical reasons. So the idea of sound money is stable money. It's, it's sound. It's a sound investment. It's I earn $10 and I go to Australia and I can still spend $10. And because the Australian government raised rates or the United States government raised rates and the currency exchange is different, the idea of it's that you get whatever value you have for the goods and services that you are able to purchase with that. That's the idea of sound money. Gotcha. Is there anybody from your past working life, like in 16, 17, 18, that you know and are still connected with that have made the, uh, I hate saying this, but like transition to blockchain or Bitcoin? Is there anybody that is more open to it now than what they were five, six years ago and you've talked with them regularly? I don't talk with a lot of them, but some of them I do. But the bigger ones, I'll go back even further. I'm going to age myself a little bit, but I started on Wall Street 20 years ago. And I got into hedge funds probably around 15 years ago. And then I moved back and changed industries 10 years ago. So I've been back in the South for 10 years. So back in my Wall Street days, there were hedge funds. And there's actually two really big ones. And they've actually, those, those, I knew those money managers peripherally back in the day. And they've gone, they own, they run full crypto platforms mm. now. They run Bitcoin hedge funds. 
and that just in the past 10 years, they've gone full into an entirely, completely different industry from traditional finance to Bitcoin. There's, when I was at Money 2020, I actually ran into three or four people that I knew that I didn't know were going to be there. That's awesome. And they're from like my days of running around Wall Street when we were all like in our 20s working and then going out. We had to pay our dues. And now they're like building companies. My friend Justin started his own company called Rise. He's out of D.C. And it's just interesting to see this evolution of how we all started out in this very small pool of pre-financial crisis. And now they're running these companies and they're getting into blockchain and crypto. And it's great to see that some of the old school folks are making the transition. Where do you, and I'm not talking about you being like, Nostradamus and predicting the future, but like, where is blockchain headed that most people can touch and feel and interact with? I'm not talking about the people that are already in it. I'm talking about people that are just normal people in Canton, Ohio. What's something that's coming down the pipeline you think that they can touch, feel, and interact with? I think the first thing is if you've ever used Venmo, or PayPal, you've probably noticed in the last couple of years that there's a crypto button. You can buy crypto via Venmo or PayPal. And so they're trying to make it very easy for people to buy it. The second thing I would think would be supply chains and whoever figures this out will be my hero for life. But I think people now, even past COVID, it started during COVID, but people going to the grocery store and you get there and your favorite thing's not there, like your favorite flavor of Gatorade. It's just not there anymore. And, and we've, we've spent so many years just like growing up and like you go to the store and you buy it and you come home. And now you go to the store and it's like literally not there. I have to go to five different grocery stores sometimes just to find everything that like my son likes because he's crazy picky. And so I think that hopefully supply chains will improve with the use of blockchain and faster movement of technology and where things are around the world and how to source things from different countries and figure out the risks that you have to your supply chain and being reliant on one country or one supplier. And that was a lot of my focus at my former company was supply chain issues. I think we have to cut it off, but Thank you so much for coming. Can you give me or give the audience one place where they can connect with you in the future if you want them to? Sure. LinkedIn. I'm, I always read my LinkedIn. If you send me a message, you can add me on LinkedIn. You can follow me, send me a message. I'm happy to, to answer any questions or just be a connector for people because so many people have done that for me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.